All right. Welcome back to the Pug Live podcast. Whenever, wherever you're listening to this, hope you're having a hell of a day. And I definitely am because today I'm joined by Sean Hussey from Tackling Sport. Sean, how are you doing? I'm all good, Mark. How are you getting on? Very good. Thank you. Very good. We, uh, we had a lot of golf to talk about over the last week. And listen, if you told me 12 months ago that we'd be talking about lawsuits and TV deals and rival leagues on the PGA Tour, I, w- I would not have believed you whatsoever. But just the last week, things seem to have got out of control. Um, and then even apart from that, like if you told me 12 months ago that Bryson DeChambeau would be finishing second in the World Long Drive Championship, I would have said you're crazy. You're losing your marbles. But it seems to have turned out that way. Did you get around to watching much of the golf over the weekend? Yeah, I did. I got um, I got to watch a good bit of the Dunhill, and then I watched the finish there on Sunday to the to the Sandersons. Um, obviously the Dunhill is quite a, an interesting event. It's kind of changed over the last couple of years. It used to be a lot more kind of celebrity based, and now it does seem to be a lot more kind of um business um men and women getting involved, and um you know there's obviously kind of stuff going on in the background and. But it, it's quite a good event. And then obviously when you have the likes of Rory and Shane and Tara Hatton and Matt Fitzpatrick playing, it it kind of keeps the the show going in that respect. But um, it, it's an interesting time of year for, for golf, really. I think it's, it, you know, I think the European Tour should be, you know, putting on a few more of the bigger events now while, while the PJ Tour is in that kind of um, mm. start of the season for next year. Um, so it's, uh, it's an interesting time, all right. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about the Dunhill links. Like, I just, I, I'd prefer if every year there was like a rotation where like you had Kings Barn one year, Carnoustie another year, and uh, the old course St. Andrews another year, and you kind of rotate the three of them. I just, I'm not a huge fan of rotating between courses and having them over like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and there's different cameras trying to get around to different groups. And I know they all start and then they play the Saturday round on the old course usually for a lot of the stronger players, but I just, yeah, it, I find it thoroughly engaging to watch though. And I love having it in October or the end of September. We saw on Saturday, on Thursday, or Friday, sorry, the rain and the wind was absolutely howling. And it is such an enjoyable watch. My only issue is I wish it was like one course, all full production, everybody in the course at the one time at the same course. And, I just feel like it'd be a better viewing, but yeah, it's a good spectacle. Would, would you agree with that, or do you like the alternating courses? No, I kind of, I don't mind the alternating courses. Like, I think there's too much of professional golf that is the same for four rounds and the same kind of course, um, particularly mm-hmm. in America with, with benign conditions, and it's kind of a, a put off each week. So, I think any sort of change to the schedule is always welcome. And then obviously we've, we've just off the back of the Presidents Cup. And all that helps. It, it it changes the dynamic, you know, to have the idea of having. I think there's 47 events on the PGA Tour in the calendar you earn the the season, and mm. to think 40, 42 of them are, are, are the same kind of format on similar type golf courses. It's only a kind of a half. It's only a couple of weeks that there's links courses or there's different types of events. So I think anything golf can do to to change it up slightly, and you know, the idea of a the thing is like you're not going to get the, the purest winner the whole time and um, sometimes in, in those events with conditions and pl- the fact of playing three different courses and you could be playing at carnoustie one day in in rain and it could be playing in sunshine but it, 
it doesn't mm. always matter if it's if it's it, you you wouldn't want 47 events like that but you you wouldn't mind a couple of them in a in a year yeah i feel the exact same way the problem with watching the pga tour every single week is they're just the same courses over and over again. Like there's not many very good golf courses on the PGA Tour, and a lot of time, especially in the in the fall swing, there's just a, a wedge fest, and it just becomes boring early to watch because you don't have the same players week in week out compared to like when you get to March or April or May and you have better con- you have the Memorial or you have the API or you have the Masters or the players, yeah, consistent feels it week in week out. It feels like the fall swing is just, especially the fall swing, it's just mundane. It goes around week on week. And I do love the idea of having a mini link swing and watching it this week in the blustery conditions, seeing players try to flight their shots down, putting from 50 yards off the green, completely different and making them uncomfortable. It's such a better viewing than watching, like what I've watched at the weekend, like whether you're watching the Sanderson last week or whether you're watching the Shriners this week. Yeah, and and the BMW at Wentworth has kind of chopped and changed between a May and a September date, and I definitely think the September date works in the calendar. Mm. Um, with the fact that the PGA Tour season's done and all the attention is is on the BMW, um, and I do think the European Tour, like like they had the French Open last week, obviously doesn't have the pizzazz as maybe it did a pre-COVID with with the Ryder Cup as well um, at Le Golf National. But I definitely think those big events they could really manufacture a big period from september to october and um try and get all the top european players certainly involved and get them playing a couple of events and and also try and get some of the american guys over um it's obviously going to be difficult with with a Ryder cup and a president's cup in that period every every you know year mm. but there's definitely something particularly from a dp world tour i should be calling it but they definitely need to be looking at more a way of trying to help the the world rankings for each event um because some of the players obviously are, are massively on the dp world tour massively struggling because of the the world ranking coefficient in in their in any dp world tour event compared to pj tour event so i definitely think the this time of year should be where the dp world tour really tries to showcase its best golfers by playing big events for with big big purses completely agree and the other the other prime time of the year is and I have pretty strong feelings about this. It's like July, the DP World Tour could actually make a massive impact by having, like I mentioned before, a mini link swing, have the Irish Open on a links course, then people go to the Scottish Open, then they go to the Open Championship. And bringing these golfers across, it's worth their journey to come across for three weeks rather than playing the John Deere Classic. Like, bring them across, have them down in the Hinch and then go to Renaissance Club and then go to the old course, St. Andrews. And that would be three weeks of excellent excellent viewing and i'm sure the players would enjoy it as well just the the idea of setting up camp in a pretty close proximity only an hour flight from each place and having the opportunity to travel around as well rather than players coming across and playing waterville or tralee or ballybunion and skipping the irish open which is held at like mount julie or the k club yeah it does seem like um particularly like i say irish golf is missing a trick by having all these players coming over and, and playing in a lot of the links courses pre-open but not playing in an irish open per se um like obviously the the, the whole idea of not having an irish open on on a links course is is stupidity to me obviously there, there's monetary reasons involved and it's the reason why um but mm. 
I agree. But the thing is, you go from the Irish Open then to the Scottish Open, and the Scottish Open is normally won at Renaissance with a really high score, and then you go to the Open, which normally isn't. Obviously, it was this year um, at St Andrews. But I definitely think, looking at it, the, the European Tour, the DP World Tour, it has, has made an awful lot of errors, or it seems like it's making an awful lot of errors, and it's probably come into focus a lot more post-live and mm. with with a lot of criticisms and a lot of people looking at golf more as a whole and um, the dp world tour seems to be kind of sleepwalking mm. and uh you would like to see those kind of bigger events on the european tour given the the due love it, it needed and it felt like for a while pre-covid with the rolex series that it did seem to be working the irish open was getting great numbers down in the hinch and, and up in up in donegal but it's um now it, it's kind of a not, not a sorry sight but you are raising questions that uh, where is the the dp world tour going or where is the irish open going considering that it's going to be in the k club for a number of the next few years yeah three out of the next five well i'll tell you who didn't make any mistakes on the dp world tour this week was ryan fox he picked up his third european tour win at alfred dunhill links Picking up 801,000 euro after going 66 74 65 68 over the four days like his rise this year has just been, I know it's been well documented across Twitter, but he entered 2022 as the 213th best golfer in the world. And with one win, seven top tens, and a neutral putter later, he'll climb to number 25 in the world, probably making his first appearance at the Masters next April. Like, what what a season for him. And I'd say he'd be just delighted to get a second win this season. Yeah, absolutely. And you think someone like him is, when, when you're on the DP World Tour and you're ranked, I'd say 80 to 120, 130 in the world. You've got an awful long, you've got an awful harder way up the rankings than a PJ Tour player would, just based on the events you're playing. But mm. to break that, the bar, the big barrier is the, the the top 50 in the world, and to crush into that now. And um, as you said, he's played some out, outstanding golf. His performances have been incredible, and he he just looks like a proper golfer now and obviously buoyed off not getting picked um in the president's cup when or maybe his world ranking said he could he, he could have been um but as you said that like the, the some of the players that that are coming off the dp world tour are, are, are still as good as ever um and then obviously the next barrier for him will be trying to break America and trying to, you know, mm. compete on the PGA Tour. But it's been an outstanding season for him and someone who's been uh, an extremely consistent player on the DP World Tour for a number of years. Yeah, and people like hindsight is obviously a great thing. Like people argue that he should have been on the Presidents Cup, and he did have an excellent start to the season earlier on in 2022. But then he finished 47th at Scottish Open, miscut the Omega European Masters, 100 uh, miscut the 150th Open. With Drew to BMW PGA. Looking back now, I'm sure it's easy for people to criticize Trevor Illman and say they should have picked Ryan Fox, but the truth is he just wasn't having a great few weeks there. And if he wanted somebody strong going into Quail Hollow, I just don't think he would have been the hot player in form at that stage. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that well, it didn't appear that no matter if Ryan Fox was on the team, I don't think it would have changed the results. Um but I definitely think it, it's uh, kind of the out of sight, out of mind. Playing on the the DP World Tour is a lot different to maybe competing on the PGA Tour. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, but as I mentioned, the world rankings. But you know, for for him to to win again and to you know when Rory hit that drive on twelve, you know, on the par four, I think mm-hmm. you know, 
10, 10, 12 feet for Eagle, you're thinking it's going to be Rory's uh, another victory for Rory. But he did, he held off Rory down the stretch and, and was fairly imperious. And he's, um, as I said, like to get into the, the top 50 in the world, the top 25 in the world now is um, is a serious feat. And it gets you in, in all the big honours, you know, your your World Golf Championships, your four mm. majors. So it's, it could be a, a real life-changing year this year. It could be. One person I touched on there was the infamous Rory McIlroy. I have a, a stat here or a tweet from Kyle Porter of CBS Sports that I shared my Instagram story earlier. Rory at tournaments played at the old course this year, faced 322 golfers, beat 316 of them, lost to five, tied one, somehow won zero trophies. I don't know what to make of Rory McIlroy anymore. I, I've documented on this podcast, I think he'd be disappointed with his year to finish top four in every ma- or top eight in every major so far and Tony walk away with three wins tour championship the CJ Cup and the RBC Canadian Open I just think it's the craziest thing in the world that we're coming up to nine years with Rory without a major no absolutely like it doesn't matter what Rory wins in the year he could win four world golf, all four the world golf championships or whatever, and then, and he, he still hasn't won a major at this stage in his career. You, you'd say it's a disappointment and all his eggs, and it feels like it's obviously a difficult one because the one he needs for the Grand Slam is Augusta, and it's it's probably the, the hardest of them to win considering it's the the same course every year, and if you there's no kind of change to that, and uh, I also come to the worst time of the year in April. I think if it's coming in July. And it's the last major of the year, and he's had a couple of big performances. He can kind of build himself into it, but like in the back of Rory's mind will be, how can I get in the best shape possible for April? And and all events that come before, you know, don't really matter to him. It, it's all about winning one of the majors next year. And like it's it's an it's an interesting stage because you think if he finishes his career, say for argument's sake, he doesn't win another major and but he he's still world number one for another four the next five years or whatever, it's you're gonna be thinking, well how did how did a player so good only win four majors? So it's um it's a big moment in his career because as you said, he's had a wonderful run and you know, there's been different talks about him going into majors when he's off the back of winning. Could that help off the back of playing poorly? Could that help? So it's it's about finding the the winning formula now. 100% and even last year I think people were, I think the week before he missed no the week before he had a good week at the Texas Open so, or did he miss caught whichever and whatever he did it was like he was never supposed to play the Texas Open hadn't played it since like 2013 or something and then he went into last year and people thought oh maybe this is a change in strategy finished second but ugh, I just I'm going to put this here do you think he wins a major next year? Oh, yeah, yeah you, you definitely think He's every chance. It's the golf is, is incredibly competitive now. Like you look at that, you know, to answer your question, I I would say yeah. But if you just look at that US ride or US Presidents Cup team, you had Max Homer, who's a multi winner in the last couple of years. You got Tony Fina, who went on a, a run in the summer and no one could catch him. Same with Chofley, and all these all these American golfers when they get hot. And you're the same with John Ram. As soon as one of the top 10, 15 players in the world goes hot, there's, there's no stopping them, whether you're Rory McIlroy or Justin Thomas. So if one of those players like a Cam Smith, uh, Scotty Scheffler has done winning you know, multiple times in a few weeks, 
it's so hard now in professional golf for the top 15 players um because the the quality is is so good there's no let off and you normally find with those big majors it's 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 someone like a cameron smith like we saw at st andrew just going on a run all week and being unplayable no matter how close rory got to him you know smith just just had enough so it's um it's such a hard time for Roy McIlroy. Like you look at the golf landscape now compared to when he last won, it's chalk and cheese really. You know, you think of players like Jason Day and Ricky Fowler who are really successful golfers in that career. Obviously, Jason Day won a major. You you think of them at their peak trying to play in this era and, you know, it'd be difficult for them. So that it just shows you that how, how much golf has changed from Rory's last major win to now. And I also think that there's there's a genuine mental block there at this stage. Like, it, it must be eating him up when he finishes the last major in July, uh, the Open Championship, and then he got, says, oh, I have to wait another nine months to try and win the next major. That consistent mental burden must get back to you. And like, I thought a prime example of it was the Open Championship this year, going into Sunday, four-shot lead, playing with Victor Hovland in a final group. And you're like, this is his one chance. And he ends up losing out to Cameron Smith. Just the mental resilience that I, w- I would give him all credit in the world if he went to one another major because he has faced critics every single time he's turned up to a major. People asking him, and it must be keeping him awake at night. And to go this year and finish top eight in every major and still not win one, oh, I, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's, get, it's getting further and further away with just exactly what you mentioned the strength and field, the, the mental resilience that he has to bring to these tournaments to try and win. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if I can see Roy, but I hope he does. No, trust me, nobody would be happier if he won a major next year. Yeah, but he, again, you look at that. You look at uh, St Andrews and what you know. What bet Rory was Cameron Smith's back nine on Sunday, you know, and and his his final round and in, in general. So sometimes you gotta, you know, Rory's thrown away majors in the past, but like St Andrews, I know he probably should have won. But sometimes you just gotta say, look, the better player. In the last, when when it mattered, delivered and uh, no, as I said, like some of these players, like Tony Fino, is yet to win a win a major. Um, you got the likes of now Max Homer, Billy Horschel, all these players on the American team, and now you're looking at at some of these next players and and some of the players like Rory and Justin Thomas, who hasn't, you know, who won a major this year, but he's got two, and you're thinking, how much more can you get with all the new cabs off the rank coming? So it's a uh, you know, you you see someone like Paul Harrington there on on his three uh, major titles, and you're thinking if any player in the current era gets the three titles that hasn't won one, say yet, you're thinking, God, that's an incredible career. So it just shows uh, the difference in in golf and landscape now. Like if you think if Justin Thomas gets to, if he wins another major and that's three, all of a sudden you're thinking, what a career Justin Thomas had to win three in the modern era. So it's um, it's difficult for Rory, but like he has to separate himself. I think what's what Rory will be looking at is obviously Nick Faldo, the most successful European golfer of all time, has won six, and I think Rory, it certainly a couple of years ago would have been thinking of eclipsing him and going past him. Now I think it's it's probably for Rory as getting to six um, by the end of his career and to be known as, you know, one of Europe's greatest ever golfers um, with him and Nick Faldo, but. Like I said, if 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 any if 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 you told me that Scotty Scheffler, say for example, is going to end his career with three majors, you're thinking that's a that's an incredible career. It it's just where golf has gone. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, it wasn't a major on the PGA Tour this week, but we did have Mackenzie Hughes picking up his second win at the Sanderson Farm Championship. His first victory since 2016 when he won the RSM Classic. It was a quick nugget I picked up off the top of my head. It was his, He gained over eight strokes to the green, which is his best week ever, and he defeated Sepp Strack in a playoff. Sepp Strack has had a bad run of playoffs recently, losing the Wills out of Taurus in the FedEx St. Jude Championship. I don't have too many takeaways from this, other than the fact that if we're talking about President's Cup, Mackenzie Hughes must have been burning on the side picked for that yeah and then obviously when when you see him and ryan fox we also saw that that leaderboard um with with higo and burmeister up there straka there was very few uh americans and hubbard was there um come the end but on you're looking at seb straka now as a potential um rider cup player obviously we, we don't really know if he's got has to get the the dp world membership um for the Ryder Cup, so don't know if it's in his if it's in his desire um to to do it, but yeah, Mackenzie Hughes was brilliant, and and in fairness, you know when when he made that up and down off the back in in the 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 seventy second hole, you always think oh, like you don't want to throw it away now in a playoff, having done so well to stay in it, um, and then again the brilliant up and down the first playoff hole, and then to to win it with the birdie, it just he produced he produced the best golf in that last hour and as a result, deserve to win. For sure. Elsewhere, I suppose, in the world of golf, I will just mention quickly that Charlie Hull did actually win her second LPGA Tour event at 26 years of age. She took she won by one stroke after shooting a 64 on Sunday to take home $255,000. If the only thing I think about when I see think about Charlie Hull is that video of her taking a lump out of the tee box with a practice swing <laughs> with her driver. But I'm I don't know. That's that's all I can think about. I didn't see too much of it. I know it was over on Sky Sports, but yeah, it that was it was pretty good. In, it was pretty good to watch on the back on the back nine. I saw a little bit of it coming down the stretch. We like we alluded to at the start of this podcast, though. There's a lot upcoming this week, and a lot has happened in the past week. We have Live Bangkok happening at Stonehill Golf Course, obviously in Bangkok. Sean, I'm I'm mad to discuss Live here. What's your general thoughts on Live? Good, bad? I'll just throw it out to you. Whatever you want to discuss. Um, I wasn't too bothered by the whole thing up until I saw, say, Answer Neiman and and people like Cam Smithco, and then I went, oh, now that this is where your my theory on it all was that if you if the PJ Tour protected to say the top 10, 15 best players in the world, then Live would die a, a kind of a slow death. And like even DJ, like DJ's had his time and, you know, still on his day, one of the best golfers in the world. But he never looked like someone that was um, going to play late in, late in life, <laughs> even even before live. He, he did kind of have that era that he'd, um, that he'd break away and kind of do his own thing and do some fishing or what, what, whatever he's into. But live at the moment is just like, I, I, haven't, I haven't really watched. I watched the first event at Centurion and it's... Um, a tough watch and i'll get the team format um don't really want to get it and you know i it's uh it's just annoying because the the narrative has changed a lot from when graham mcdowell was was up in the centurion in the press conference talking about you know golf being a force for good and they were on about not playing as much and you know now it's now they want the, the world ranking points so they can be competing and WGCs and and majors and the top PGA Tour events in 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 the future, if who knows? So it's just um, it's a bonkers it's a bonkers time for golf, I have to say. It 
Exactly that. It is absolutely bonkers. I think I slightly disagree here in the fact that I know you say you dislike the team event. I don't like the team event right now. I think it's stupid and the four aces and the crushers and teams tweeting at each other and tweeting at the players. I think it's it's stupid. But my counterpoint to this is if the PGA Tour went and said, right, we're going to implement a team event and on one team we're going to have Justin Thomas and Roy McIlroy and on another team we're going to have arguments sake, just say Brooks Kepka and uh, Bryson DeChambeau and another team is going to be Seamus Power and Shane Lowry it would be so much easier to root for those teams coming down the stretch and saying, oh, Shane Larry needs to make a birdie here and then Seamus Perro needs to make a bogey or better on the 71st hole and then give himself... And it, it would just be a lot easier to root for teams rather than rooting for one out of 154 golfers from the start of the week. And I do t- think it would add a lot of context from Thursday. Like, my problem with the PGA Tour now is Thursday, Friday, when you're watching it, there's no context to it. It's like, you see people moving up or moving down the leaderboard, but a lot of people just aren't engaged until it gets to the Sunday. And I just think if there was a team event that you could root for four players specifically, I think that'd be thoroughly engaging. Yeah, like I, I, it was more the case I don't really understand it. It's kind of mm. it's kind of hard to get your finger around. But there's no doubt golf um, and professional golf needs there needs to be more variety, needs to be more events, um, more match play. Um, more foursomes and or you know alternate alternative shot whatever it it just needs to to get up to times and get with the flow um and obviously this new lead that rory and tiger with we'll have to see with that but it, it golf has has stayed the same for for too long but no i agree like if, if you're watching something with with a little bit more um with a little bit more variety it'll add to it um but with the Mm. team element like i'm not sure how how much of that it will work i think maybe week to week if you did you know foursomes or match play team match play um but i'm not sure in a regular pj tour event how much it will it will actually work um Mm. but obviously they, they they might we might see it tried and tested yeah maybe but i do agree with you like i see all these people on twitter or wherever writing articles about how great live is i just don't think they understand the long term what this is going to do to the game of golf whereby we're going to have the best players in the world broken up over two separate leagues and like week in week out we're going to have five of the best players playing over and live and then we're going to have 15 of the best players and you have like no idea who the best players in the world actually are because they're not competing against each other and if they don't get world golf ranking points then they can't qualify for the majors and like we see Dustin Johnson finish whatever like top four in the last four events, including the win, or top six in the last four events, including the win. And we just don't know what it means for the world of golf. And is DJ the best player in the world? And the example people always go back to is: imagine you took the NFL and broke it up into two leagues and said, right, some of the best players are going to play here. It, it it would make for a dreadful product. And I just don't think a lot of people understand what that's going to do for golf. Yeah, no, I th- I think the the world rankings whether they get it will determine what happens over the next three years, and if they don't get it, I don't see it. And by by kind of the rules and the eligibility rules that are in place, they they shouldn't get it by definition. Um, but I'm not sure how 
what will happen to golf if you've got Cameron Smith and, and Dustin Johnson, as Rory said, kind of lying around 150th in the world rankings? Like that, that shows you then that the world rankings will be skewed. Um, so, like it's a hard one, as as someone said, you know, it has been said they've made their bed, they can they can lie in it. They knew a lot of this kind of connotations. They, in theory, shouldn't want world ranking points if they if they're there just to play less golf. Um. So it, like the communications element of it, that what's come out in the media has been awful, really, in in terms of the the differing in in opinion from say the first live event to to what you're hearing from live players now. Um, mm. but like I said, like I I can go about my week really with, without without watching the live golf, but it does seem to be that both both sides of the divide are really keeping this in the media with with you know Shane Lowry's tweets and other people's tweets and you know the live account but i don't see how going forward how a 54 hole event um a 54 hole tour will get world ranking points um i just i think i think that's the fundamental uh, fundamental stumbling block in front of them yeah so uh, exactly what you're saying there and i was going to bring it back to it's just the world golf ranking points like they're so like greg norman must have sold these players are great little shit in telling them that, oh, listen, we'll get this done, we'll get that done. Just, if he ever even researched the criteria that's required to get World Golf ranking points, he would have understood that this wasn't going to be possible. And I feel like players like, maybe not Cameron Smith, because he's like laid back, not too fussed, but someone like Joaquin Neiman, who's potentially after ruining his, potentially after ruining his career, I feel like he could have been promised World Golf ranking points and never happened. Like Some of the criteria for being eligible for the points are, it has to be 72 holes. There has to be an average of 74 golfers in each event during the season. The tournament should include a 36-hole cut. There should be a qualifying session before each event. So, for example, on the PGA Tour, we get the Monday qualifiers. And um, that's just for the reasons. But, like, it feels like nobody ever understood this or either Greg Norman understood this and he just decided that he was never going to tell his players. And it it makes no sense. Now, if Liv goes and actually changes their criteria and says, listen, we're going to have 72 whole events and we're going to have qualifying, fair enough. Give them world golf ranking points. But like we have Chase Kepka in the field who's barely ever finished like top 20 in the PGA Tour and he's all of a sudden finishing tied ninth at one of these events. And it's like, what does this mean? Like, are we going to start giving him world golf ranking points just because he's in the event because he was... Brooks Kepka's brother, and he got invited because he was Brooks Kepka's brother as a dual package. It, it may, it's bonkers the whole thing how it's working. Yeah, and obviously it's it's Richard Dawson who was the former head of the RNA, who's head now of the the committee that run the World Golf Rankings. So he's got a he's got a big couple of months ahead of him. Um, but as you said, like I think people are sick and tired of this now, and I think you just if you could fast forward to to the Wednesday of of masters of the masters now and miss all the kind of the, the rubbish that's going to be spoken between you know both uh both kind of parties in this you probably would and get away mm-hmm. from i think golf almost needs to just take a reset take a couple of months off to itself and and try and sort all this out in the background and, and obviously you know we've going to have this you know this kind of netflix documentary that they've been doing over though i'm sure that'll be released in, in the next few months and um it's it's like it's just it it is bonkers and um how golf 
pre-COVID had, had ended up in this position um, to now, it's just madness. Like every time you open up Twitter or you open up Sky Sports and, you know, th- th- there's more stuff about lawsuits and TV deals and, you know, it's it, it, it's kind of it's kind of frustrating at this stage that, you, like, as I said, if I could, I could take a couple of months off from hearing about golf stuff and just, you know, time travel me to the Wednesday of, of the Masters. Yeah, well, apparently we might be able to see it on TV coming up. So apparently, according to some reports that have been let out, uh, Live Golf have approached people like NBC, CBS, Disney, Amazon and Apple who didn't want to broadcast on TV because they said it'd be too negative. But word has come out, a report was released last week that Fox Sports has got involved because of their CEO, Lachlan Murdoch. Um, like, this was something that I think was taken from Golf Week. I'll just read it directly. Last month, Sports Business Journal reported that Jared Kushner, the son-in-law of Donald Trump, had been calling broadcasters trying to generate interest in a live television package. In 2021, Kushner's private equity firm, Affinity Partners, secured $2 billion in funding from the Saudi Public Investment Fund. This is, I can't believe what is happening here that because somebody's, because the public investment fund invests into a private equity firm, that all of a sudden they're trying to liaise with TV companies. And apparently, Live Golf is paying Fox to buy the space on TV. And then they, Live Golf will actually sell the advertising space. Stuff like this is like crazy, and I just I think going to a TV package is actually almost a big downgrade from YouTube because I understand it would lead to more money. But the big thing about YouTube was it was free and accessible for people to watch on their TV, and whatever there was, if there's ninety thousand people watching, they might get. I don't even think they'll get ninety thousand people if they put it on TV because YouTube is installed in every TV right now. Yeah, it's um. Like this is the bit that kind of that does wind you up. Obviously, it, like the whole idea of the the live tour wasn't to make money, or you know, wasn't really to grow the game of golf, or you know, as they say, change the game. Like it's obviously all a all a front um, and a sporting front. So, like, if it does crack, like if it does get to to Fox and say it does do well, and you know, then it completely changes people's perception of live. Um, like say if if all if live was going on in in down the road you'd you'd go down and watch it and that's that, mm. that that's what it is and they're the one thing that's always been labeled is it golf has been too american focused and with the world golf championships and obviously you know it was in ireland in the past and you think about some how little golf has played professionally in 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 australia um, and that's what it's going to do. Liv is going to bring it to all these places in Thailand and in uh, Australia and New Zealand and places like this. Um, and, you know, if they crack a couple of those markets, then it becomes a lot more sustainable. But as I said, it's it's not about making money. So it's, you know, it's going to, in, in theory, if, if this was a, a money-making project by, by people, then you wonder how far it would have got. But because it's it's kind of an un- ever-ending uh, investment fund it it like it's it's going to hang around for an awful long time and it doesn't matter if they're if 10 people are watching it or a hundred thousand people are watching it yeah I, I tweeted out last week that an article in the financial times reported that the public investment fund was worth 608 billion dollars like so when we think about the fact that tiger woods could have been paid 750 million 
that is only literally a drop in the ocean in this public investment fund and all of the money and publicity that this would have generated. The only thing about them going and getting this TV package is it does entice companies to potentially buy one of their franchises. So there was rumors going around that Adidas were going to buy one of the teams and they were going to sponsor them. I do think companies will be genuinely interested once they get past this kind of original negative onset, once they get past this stage and maybe in a year's time, companies do become interested in buying them because let's say you're an Adidas and you've sponsored four players and one of your players was, um, let's say, the Heary. All of a sudden, you're getting into that Indian market and you're you're starting to crack that and you have much more of a local presence. And I think the good thing about live golf is it's going around the world and it's going to go to Australia and it's potentially going to come to Ireland. And if you're an Adidas and you sponsor one of these teams, you get exposure to all these markets compared to if you're sponsoring a golfer on the PGA Tour, 99% of your money is just spent in America and you don't get any real other publicity globally. Yeah, yeah, no, you're spot on. And I think a lot of companies and even players are probably still sitting there going, just going to hold off here for another six months. I'm going to keep my powder dry. I'm not going to talk and I'm going to wait and see how this works out with world ranking points. And then similar if you're um, like Adidas or any of those big companies, um, you're, you're just going to wait and see how the next, as I said, the next four or five months of this, um, you know, up until Augusta, I think we'll, we'll learn we'll probably know everything we need to know at that stage about live whether about world ranking points what about this pj whether these players play on the pj tour or not or whatever it is and and i think we'll be in a lot clearer headspace um come you know the first couple of weeks in april uh, and i think also we'll learn a lot more about sponsorship and and who's getting involved um because obviously we know they like to say phil losing this callaway deal but in the back of say if you're a you know, an Adidas or a Bridgetown or whatever it is, you're, you're probably thinking, you know, if this takes off, as you said, in Asia, it takes off in Australia and, and we can, you know, we can go in there and, and really sell ourselves as part of it. It's it's a no-brainer from a business decision. So, mm. as I said, the, the, the next four or five months in this, you'll, you'll, you'll know a lot more and I think we'll get to the stage where come Augusta, I think people will, will just stop talking about it and it'll be a lot more set in stone. And once once it becomes clear and once the two can coexist, which I think is going to have to happen, everything becomes a lot more easier. There's there's less talking about announcing players and all this kind of stuff that's been going on in, in the background. Um, as I say, when you get to that time of year, everyone will know where they stand. And I think it'll be a lot more easier than all the kind of uncertainty that's here at the moment. Question off the top of your head. Do you think the majors will ban the live golfers? Um, no, but I think they will make qualifying for them a lot harder. And I think that's maybe something that might come, particularly like if, if now, if you're a Taylor Gooch and you can't get world ranking points, well, then you know it it comes a lot harder to qualify. You you, you might be able to you know, for the Open going to Open qualifying or the, you know the US Open qualifying or whatever it may be. But no, I, I don't think I don't think the, the majors will ban them because I don't think I still think golf is in a position where it's 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 not one of the there's so much competition in the sports market that you know the the PGA the PGA or the the Open, for example, can't turn around and say no, we won't take, we won't have our defending champion play, mm-hmm. uh, we won't have the Dustin Johnson play, we won't have 
Kepka playing all these players because Wimbledon's on in the summer. You've got the the say a World Cup or a Euros. You've got so much competition cricket in 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 the, the say the British summer that they need to have the the majors need to have the best possible players playing. So I, I don't see them banning them, but I do see qualification for the lesser players. Your Jason Kokrax, your answers your Neiman's, you know, rather than the the Smiths, the the Shambos and the Johnsons. I think mm. qualifying for them will be a lot harder than than what it is currently. Especially if they're only to play a limited, very limited schedule on the DP World Tour. Uh, we've touched on the TV deal, we've touched on the lawsuit, and we've touched on the World Golf Ranking points. The last thing to mention, they did come out last week and announced their team format for their final event, which is upcoming in two weeks. They obviously have Bangkok this week, and then they're going to Jeddah, and then they go to wherever it is. I don't really, I don't really care that much, but um, it's kind of complicated, but it's kind of exciting. And I have to give to them. It seems like they've done a, they've done a lot of innovation here, thinking about how this is going to play out, how we can make this the most exciting. I'll give you the back story here. So, on the I think it's the Friday. On the Friday, the top four teams will receive buys. And then the highest ranked teams get to pick their matches from their the remaining eight teams. 32 players in it will compete. So that's four players on each team, eight teams. There'll be two singles matches and one alternate shot match with two other players. And the captain has to play a singles match. Then on set, then on Saturday, the top four teams that receive buys choose their opponents based on the four teams that had won on the Friday. And then on the Sunday, it's going to be four teams competing in a shotgun start stroke play event the four teams that won on the saturday 16 players are competing two sums and all four scores count towards the team score and what's on the line the winning team gets to split 16 million dollars among the four players while the runner runners up receive 10 million dollars and third place receives eight million dollars god bless pat perez whose score will have to count in this event (laughs) any initial thoughts from that format sean no i like like that format with the it's just different and it and like you have to test these things to see if they work um like i do you know say for example any sort of match like that the president's cup shouldn't be in any way of a con a contest if, if you took the teams in isolation but because of match play it enabled and empowered the likes of siwoo kim and tom kim and these players to produce and deliver and hit unbelievable golf shots and i think a match play you see the best of these professional players they hit the shots they hit under pressure you, you just wouldn't see from the the, the the shots they're able to take on under pressure you don't see in a regular event because they've got you know in, in on the 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 early days you've got a partner playing with you so all that works and obviously match play is, is a, one of the best formats and it's unpredictable the yeah, it's the the idea then of playing the stroke play for a final is a bit of a an interesting one. Um, mm. But like I said, it's something different, and, and golf golf does need that. And like one thing that's really frustrating me with the DP World Tour is that you now I remember watching the Seve Trophy growing up between Europe and and then um, Great Britain and Ireland, and now it it's coming back but not in, in the Seve trophy name as it stands it's going to be played in the middle east in in january time and i just think that's a huge blow and a huge kick in the guts to what a lot of the the main folk on the say what was the european tour you know a lot of those people that have kept and done a lot of great work to then have an event like that and 
in the Middle East where you're not going to get near as much fanfare or excitement than as you would say if that event was in the Belfry or was you know in Valderrama um but as I said any kind of match play is different but so that live that live thing is is pretty interesting to see how how it'll all work out I think genuinely that the the idea of having two singles matches and one alternate shot match like you could win your first match in the singles match, lose your second match in the singles match, and then the final point comes down to the alternate shot and depends who wins that in determining who goes through to the semifinals or who goes through to the final. I think that is so interesting to hear. Um, and there's always been talk about how the Tour Championship should be considered to be a match play event and they should change it or have just eight players compete over three days or four days. I think Liv have actually nailed this in the head. The only thing I'll disagree with is I don't like to stro- I don't like to stroke play on a Sunday. I think it's I think it's a massive missed opportunity. I think we could potentially have I don't know Pat Perez facing off against Brooks Kepka in the final match, and Pat Perez pulls off something ridiculous. The idea of four scores counting towards the final score, I think it could be a runaway for one team really. Um, but I think I think Friday and Saturday, or if it's Thursday and Friday, I think they've absolutely nailed it. It's going to be Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, no, absolutely. And as you said, the alternative shots a brilliant format. And I don't know if you've even played it casually. It, it's a brilliant format and and very interesting to play. And then challenges uh, in a lot of different ways. And there's a lot of tactics to it. So anytime mm-hmm. that is kind of in an event, it's always extremely interesting. Even if you watch the the tactics that are involved in the President's Cup, say, and in the Ryder Cup. And again, it's just something you don't see week to week on the PGA Tour or the or the DP World Tour. Yeah, well, live golf never stops innovating. Patrick Reed and two other separate notes, Patrick Reed has refiled a $750 million defamation lawsuit against Brandon Chamblay, but he's now added golf channel personalities, Eamon Lynch, Damon Hack, and Shane Bacon. Well, like we mentioned at the start of this, Bryson DeChambeau finished second at the Pro Long Drive World Championship. He hit his longest drive as 460 yards, the 2020 US Open champion. I have to admit, I kind of miss Bryson. I think he's cringy as hell, um, all the stuff that he does. But he's kind of he's easy for a lot of Twitter personalities to make fun of. And you just miss him coming on the PGA Tour and complaining about fire ants being under his ball or random stuff. But he did change the game, and I personally really liked him at the time. And I still do think I really like him, but I do wish he's on the PGA Tour. Yeah, I mean, it was the the sixth or the fifth at um, Bay Hill where he he carried the what the 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 water and had a pitching mm. wedge for for a second at that for that par five and and the, the, there's no one no one like Bryson in the game and you need players like that, no one who who has that much power and even the Ryder Cup. Um, uh, with that par five, I think it was the, the the seventh where where he was able to carry it out four hundred yards and took a, a you know a disgraceful yeah. line and, and was able to carry it and he's uh he's box office but he, as I say he's kind of it suits him I'd say playing live where he can compete in the 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 long drive and you know work uh, a lot of this gym game and probably not hone in on his wedges as much as he he maybe would if he was competing you know on the PJ tour and in kind of major major seasons so it's uh no he's a great he's a great person to watch that's for sure a great person to watch well we do move on to the pga tour again this week where <laughs> it's funny that matt jones peter uline and bryson the shambo are the three players now suing the pga tour that is 
comical. Like Peter Uline and Matt Jones have won like $2.1 million between them. Uh, I'd say Jamon is shivering in his boots. From what I've heard, based on uh, lawyers have spoken about this, apparently Live Golf stands no chance. Uh, but <laughs> it's crazy that the PGA Tour is being sued by three players, two of them who've barely ever played the PGA Tour. Yeah, well, it's mad that Peter, when I was growing up, when I was like 9 or 10, Peter Uline was, was the big amateur on the scene. He was he was out of Oklahoma. He the always wore orange, had the orange grip in his putter and stuff. It was a big name. It's just never really done it and now like you know those players that's who live has really benefited those kind of players that are you know not nowhere near the top 100 in the world but are still making serious serious money and uh as you said like i, I don't know the the law side of it but you, you wouldn't think they'd stand much for a chance now Yeah, well, even if they are soon the PGA Tour, the PGA Tour will go ahead with its PGA Tour event this week at the the Shriners Children Open, Shriners Children's Open uh, at TPC Summerlin. A little bit about the course, Sean. I know it's only Monday, and we probably haven't had a full chance to look at this yet. It's a 7,255 yards, par seventy one, Bermuda grass. From what I've read, driving distance or driving accuracy doesn't really matter this week. Around the green game is pretty important, and putting is also important this week. Have you t- had a chance to take a look at this event, or any players that you fancy? Um, no, not 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 as of yet. Um, again, I think it's just one of those events where you, on Friday afternoon, Friday Friday evening, our time, you'll know an awful lot more about the the course and the kind of the setup and who's doing well. Um, it's not something that will take my attention too much as you say it's kind of an it's a it's a bad kind of run of, of events around the fall considering that the height you get in the summer with with so many big events on on boat tours and you know boat in america and boat in europe so um yeah i haven't really taken too much i know sung jm i think was the the, the previous winner uh, and it'll be interesting to see what you would say is the players like cameron davis and i know siwu kim's in the field i think and those players that played in the president's cup that had relatively successful times of a how they can they kick on now Cameron Davis that the golf he produced on that Saturday night going eagle birdie birdie to win his game uh, alongside Adam Scott can he go the next stage now in, in his career and I always find that interesting post a, a team event post the Ryder Cup um, and now now post President's Cup how will go that is very exciting you did mention Sung J.M. he was 2022 uh, champion here where he bet Defeated Matt Wolf by four shots. And also in 2021, Martin Laird, Martin Laird had defeated Matt Wolf by, uh, in a playoff, him and Austin Cook. Matt Wolf kind of gone underground at the moment. You don't really hear from him anymore, but I must admit, I do miss Matt Wolf as well. Um, I'll just briefly mention one or two players that I saw mentioned uh, specifically on Twitter this week. Patrick Antley is an obvious one. He's gone eight, second, second, first, and four in the last five years. He won the President's Cup, seven at Tour Championship, first BMW, second Rocket Mortgage, eighth at the Open, playing extremely good golf. Uh, Taylor Montgomery is definitely one that people are very interested in. He finished third at the Fortinet, ninth at Sanderson, gaining 4.2 strokes ball striking. And he's gained 16 strokes putting in his last two events. Uh, I mentioned already, putting is very, very important here. Um... Emiliano Grillo was one that people were pretty interested in. He like I think he like four put or three put from four feet on the 14th hole at the weekend, uh, where he finished T five. 
But listen, he's he's been playing well. He's a good iron player. And yeah, the last one I'm going to briefly mention here because I don't want to take up too much time is Mark Hubbard. Mark Hubbard. Yeah, I think he's like 81 or 91. He led the field in strokes gain approach at the Sanderson Farms and his irons have been very good recently. Uh, 81 or 91 or whatever you get him at is a pretty interesting number. I think, uh, uh, no, for me, Mark, I'd just say it'd be interesting, as I said, watch Cam Davis and also Thomas Dietrich because there, there's a couple of players in that in the European Ryder Cup team now where there's probably three, three to four um, spots available on that team and it's you know, it's going to be between the Hoygaard twins, maybe uh, Miliotzi, Thomas Dietrich. Can he put himself in that conversation? Thomas Peters, and all it takes is a run of two or three good events, and you and you climb right up that that world rankings, and and all of a sudden you're you're forcing Luke Donald's hand. So I know he was he was kind of half in contention at the start of the week, Thomas Dietrich. So they're the two players that I just keep an eye on. It'd be interesting to see. Yeah, and I think just from kind of in the in the mirror review. On the US side of things, Ricky Fowler has changed coach. He's gone back to Butch Harmon, I believe. Um, and he's, his swing has taken a few changes. And he gained 5.9 strokes ball striking at the Fortnite Championship where he finished T6. Maybe, just maybe over the next 11 months or so, he makes a run at getting into the US Ryder Cup team. Um, Sean, I feel like you've opened a can of worms here. Do you think Europe have any chance next year? Yeah, no, definitely on on home soil. I think um, definitely. I think then the the biggest thing they need to get their parents because I think if they that they get their parents right and they go into the Sunday singles um, in you know relatively close or maybe a point of you know a drift or whatever it is, then I think you'd fancy them in the singles. I think you'd you just fancy them if they if they can set the course up right for them. But the key will be getting the parents because. I know it was difficult this year with COVID and, and that, last year with COVID and the crowd, but I definitely think um, Harrington missed a couple of tricks with his parents. And But like I said, you've got Hatton and Lowry, who I know Hatton played in the, the 2018 Ryder Cup, but they're just another Ryder Cup, bit more experience. Now, Lowry had his first taste in it. Fitzpatrick has you know, been disappointing in his first couple, but he's now a major winner. So th- there's a core seven or eight top players on the European team. And it'll be a case of whether who fills those remaining four spots. Is it someone like Justin Rose or, you know, who Luke Donald will know an awful lot? Is it going to be the Hoygaard twins that kick into it? Or is it going to be maybe a, an outsider like Seb Stracker or a Thomas Dietrich or a, a Thomas Peters gets himself back in the mix? So it'll be very interesting to see. Yeah, completely agree with you about the point about getting the parents right. Um, I mentioned on the podcast last week, like, so many of these decisions at the moment seem to be div- driven by data analytics and having to get players out. And I mentioned it on the Tackling Sport podcast with yourself and Daniel and Karen Nolan that Park Harrington just put, I think, Casey Fitzpatrick and Westwood all played four times and they all went 0-4. And, and it just seems like because the analytics tell you that a player has to play three times to give them the optimal chance of attaining points for the team. Like at some stage, you just have to ride or die with the parents are going out good, like Sergio Garcia and John Ram and at the at Whitley, uh, sorry, at Winston Straits. They were very impressive, and not many people might have envisioned them together as a team. But they won their match on Thursday mo- on Friday morning, and they went out again Saturday for both matches. And if we get the parents right, we do have a chance. But there's no there's no doubt in how big of a task it will be. Well, I I actually thought it would be quite a shoe in that Lowry and and Fleetwood would play together. 
um and i don't think we saw that pairing all week um and just that was just off both being exceptional ball strikers but also being really close and obviously that that, that shared experience that port rush and fleetwood had that bit of Ryder cup experience and there was no molinari in the team um mm. uh, and again you know for what rightly or wrongly they went with with analytics and sometimes maybe there's there's a blend that could be needed there definitely sean i don't want to keep you too much longer where can people find you on twitter or with your podcast yeah, so I, I, me and my brother have co-founded the Tackling Sport podcast. We kind of dip into all different sports at Tackling Sport. You can find us on YouTube or Spotify and, and Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Tackling Sport. And then myself is just Sean Hussey 00 on, uh, on Twitter. Sean, for the, for have... the Yeah, for the occasional good golf take. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why we have you on this show, so you can give them all to us. Sean, listen, thanks very much for joining and we'll chat to you again soon. Cheers, Mark. Pleasure.